This is the Taiwanology podcast from Commonwealth Magazine, where we discuss Taiwan matters and why they matter to you. Coming to you from Taipei, the capital of the freest nation in Asia. Welcome to another episode of the Taiwanology podcast. This is your host Kuang Ying Liu from Commonwealth Magazine. Today, we're diving into the ever-evolving world of fashion and exploring a shopping destination that has been making waves, especially among the younger generation, that is under thirty. If you're a millennial, you might be familiar with the likes of Zara, H and M, or Forever Twenty One as go-to spots for trendy wardrobe additions. However, if you're wondering where today's teenagers are getting their style fix, the answer might just be Shein. As the second most downloaded fashion app in the U.S., Shein has become a powerhouse in the world of fast fashion, capturing the attention of the TikTok generation with a staggering number of followers. Picture this: influencers showcasing their latest finds in what has become known as the Shein halls, featuring an abundance of clothing at. Unbelievably low prices, like three-dollar tops or five-dollar pants. But the real intrigue lies in the question: How does Shein manage to consistently produce thousands of trendy styles each month, setting itself apart in the fast-paced fashion landscape? Today, we're joined by three young journalists who not only report on this fashion phenomenon, but also themselves belong to the Generation Z. Not only are we going to unpack the allure of Shein's fast fashion empire, but we also will address the growing concerns about the poor labor conditions and environmental impact involved in this fast fashion business model. Joining us today are Ashley Low. Hi, Ashley. Hello, I'm Ashley. And Cheryl Wu. Hello, everybody. And last but not least, David Shen. Hi, everyone. I'm David. Very happy to have you here. We're talking to these three young reporters because they made an unprecedented trip to China. And could you tell us which cities you visited this time? We traveled to Guangzhou and especially Penyu, which is where a lot of the Shein factories are based. Okay. First of all, tell us what do you know about Shein. When did you first hear about this brand? I noticed Shein on social media first because they advertise very interesting stuff on my Facebook feed. Like what? How interesting? I remember I saw boob tape that is actually used to lift the chest or open crouch jeans. <laughs> I couldn't、okay. even imagine who would buy this. You know. Then I was intrigued and I did some research about it. Then I realized, though its website and ad content look very much like a legit American or European company, right? It is in fact a Chinese enterprise which registered its headquarters in Singapore. Okay, so how about you, Ashley? How did you know about Shein? Actually, I knew them from media, like all the news where last year they were talking about how this Chinese company was emerging as the next Zara,、mm -hmm. and I thought that was very interesting. So I looked deeper into it. How about you, David? I have to admit that I actually、uh, heard Shein first time when I did this story because most of the production sales is、uh, they they grows close, so I haven't seen it in my life, and not even on my social media or on internet. Right, you're not the target audience because this is Shein, not Hein. Right. Okay, so please unpack for us, Ashley. Why is Shein so popular among teenagers? We just heard that Shein is. 
the second most downloaded app in the U.S. So for those who know a little bit about Shi, I remember that it started out in Nanjing, actually, in 2008. And the founder, Sky Shi, actually knows a lot about search engine optimization and, you know, just looking for what's trendy online. So he was a tech guy. He was a tech guy. So in 2012, he actually moved to Guangzhou because he realized China, especially Guangzhou, has a vast manufacturing capacity for cheap clothing. And he also saw that in the States, there is this wide blue sea ocean market where actually young teenagers didn't have that good of an access to cheap, affordable clothing at scale. So before then, say young teenagers in the States who lived mostly in suburbs will have to wait until the weekends for their parents to take them to the local mall to shop. But in recent years, they are um, being more exposed to fashion on social media and they might want to shop for more styles for themselves and also share on those platforms. So Shein really captured that. Right. So Shein actually gives the autonomy of purchasing to the teenager. They can just buy stuff on their fingertips. If they cannot drive, the clothes will come to them. That's why they're so successful. Yeah, you can say that. One of the experts we talked to, he actually described Shein as Forever 16. So before then, you will have Forever 21, mm-hmm. which targets you know ladies in their young 20s. But you didn't have a brand that was more for you know teenagers, like 16-year-olds. Right. So I guess Shein is a phenomenon that we um, have to pay attention to. But why do we have to care about Shein now? I believe there are many people in Taiwan buying clothes from it. Mm-hmm. The last I heard, you, you bought it. <laughs> you bought some clothes from it too. Be- before last year, that's before I learned about the, the negative environment impacts. I think people would be interested in the original Shein, like how they pulled it off and became the most successful ultra-fast fashion company in the world in just a few years. According to Reuters, Shein accounted for nearly one-fifth of the global fast fashion market, which is huge. Wow. And the other thing is that Shein has filed for IPO initial public offering in the States. So we feel that Behind the whole speedy expansion, they are actually trying to find a way for their investors, those venture capitals, to cash out. In that way, it's more like an internet startup instead of a fashion company. And I've been covering the apparel industry for several years, and I feel no one in this industry has ever done it like Shein. So in this sense of either business model or supply chain management, that's why we wanted to look deeper inside Shein. Right. What an exciting discovery. So if you guys are interested, the cover story, how Shein has been rising so quickly, has it been published last week? And you could check on Commonwealth English website for the in-depth story. And next, we're going to listen to a recording that's taken from one of your very important interviews in Guangzhou. Let's take a listen. So, Chara, could you tell us what uh, this guy Lin Feng has said? And first of all, maybe what does he do? Uh, of course. Uh, Lin Feng is actually a garment factory owner, and he is also one of the suppliers of Shein. Okay, what does he supply? He supplies mostly sweaters. Right, so what what was he saying in this recording? He compared Zara and Shein, saying that 
The reason why Xing's products are so cheap is because Xing doesn't require very good quality. Their quality is just barely okay. So in that, by doing so, and with the help of robust local supply chain, they could corner a huge market that are always neglected. We call it 下沉市场. The term was invented in China originally, which in Chinese, it literally means sinking market. Sinking, where, huh? Yeah, where co- consumers are extremely price sensitive. So in other words, Zara was already very cheap, but there will always be people who want even cheaper stuff in every country, and they weren't satisfied until the rise of Xi'an. Wow, that, that sounds pretty depressing because Zara is already pretty cheap, but Xi'an is sort of a, the result of racing to the bottom. Exactly. So I, I've heard a lot of complaints of people who, who buy Shein clothes that the materials was, was so lousy that uh, they will probably break after one or two times of, of wearing. It's so cheap, people I might just not consider return it. No, yeah, no. yeah. Just, just one time, maybe wear it to a party and next day just throw it away. So um, next, I think people will have this question in, in their mind because... There's so many different styles on the Shein apps. How was Shein able to come up with so many styles and design it so, so quickly? So um, Shein is a lot of people know it's ultra fast. So they're actually a lot faster than Zara, which is amazing. And what they do is they actually have a huge team of people who crawl online and look at data, Google trends, and what's popular on social media. And those might be items from other brands. And since there are such actually like an IT company and the founder was an expert in search engine optimization, they are very good at using this data to turn into designs. For example, in 2018, in that Mm -hmm. summer, they actually used Google to spot that in the States, it was trendy to buy lace. And in the UK, they were crazy about denim. And in India, they preferred like cotton clothing. So they are very good at those micro trends. So they're Tapping into uh, search to, to find out what's going to be the, the next it item. Uh, it's one of their you know methods, but they're also good at coding and using Python and coming up with their own algorithms. Wow. Okay, so this is smart, fast fashion. But there's one thing you mentioned that's very interesting. You compared fast and ultra fast. What's the definition? How fast is ultra fast? Well, from what we saw in uh, China and Xi'an, they were able to come up with a new design in just four days and produce them in small quantities, as many as just 80 pieces, and have those, you know, tested in the market like next week. So that's a lot faster than Zara, which I believe takes about two weeks. Right. But even is super fast. So they have shortened it to, what, eight days, you say? They're able to produce new design in as little as four days and because they are an e-commerce so they just put up the pictures online so they don't oh. even have to you know have them ship to the stores they can just put them online first and have them on the market ready to be shopped okay but then it, it raises another question uh, if if they have the algorithms just crawling online for designs isn't there issue of uh, intellectual property rights Yes, I've like received a lot of criticisms for that, but I believe it's always been kind of a common criticism of fast fashion, mm-hmm, and right. they they are trying to come up with their own designs by you know having a, their own design team. But we are seeing that's not their most productive way of 
making new right. items. Yeah, I guess if they hire too big of a design team, they can no longer be so cheap. So we're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we're going to hear about the unique urban settings that have allowed these small factories to exist. Welcome back to the Taiwanology podcast. This is your host Kuang Ying Liu, and today we're talking about how Shein has been so successful. With us today are three colleagues of mine: Ashley, David, and Cheryl. So next, we're going to play another recording for you,、um, which is Lin Feng, the the same interviewer we have talked to before. Let's take a listen. And this urban center has another another good thing: one urban center. 你看，它有有搞设计的，有搞加工的，里面也有一些面面料、面面料的、头像面料的，呃，那些小作坊、工厂啊，这多，而且租金便宜，而且那个绣花、印花，它它是一个好像是一个小生态，嗯，你每个村都有个小生聚集。Okay, so David, what was Lin Feng talking about? Lin Feng is one of the factory owner we made in Panyu and. He said that the urban village is just like a small clothing industry chain. There are designer, the fabric markets, and some other relevant store there. And the most important things is the rent is quite cheap there. Okay, so he was talking about something called Chengzhongchun. What is the Chengzhongchun? Chengzhongchun's English is urban village. The urban village are the rural village that remain in Chinese city. They used to be in the outskirts, but are now surrounded by the high-rise building due to the urbanization. Since the land ownership is belong to the villagers, so without the government's cooperation, there will be still there. It's true that the clothing industry in Guangzhou share the close、uh, relationship with their urban village. Firstly,、uh, the China's largest fabric market, the Zhongda Fabric Market, is located in one of the urban village in Haizhou District, and it's offered the most comprehensive selection of fa- fabric and accessory nationwide, catering to the need for the clothes factory. And there were three major hub of the clothing factory in Guangzhou's、uh, urban village, where are、uh, in Haizhou, Panyu, and Baiyun District. And from Zhongda Fabric Market, you can drive to each place in only one hour, so that's really close. Within their urban village, they have the complete industry chain, just as Lin Feng mentioned. What I mean is, from designing to the fabric market, the sample making and the factory production, the entire process can be complete in only three days, which is really fast. And moreover, the urban village low house rents also enable the small business to establish their own factory in Guangzhou, and the worker can also find affordable accommodation in the urban village. And this is quite crucial for the clothing industry, which operate in the thin profit margins. So we can say Guangzhou's clothing industry depends on the urban village for decades. Right, so you're saying that because the level of concentration of these designers and factories that within a very small area, it's making it very cheap to design and produce and very quickly. Yes, exactly. And how was the how was it like to walk around the Chengzhongchun? Was it a really cramped and an old,、uh, dilapidated area? We visit two factories. One factory is the Shin's factory, and another one is their former factory. 
And this factory was lo located in the urban village and where the narrow alleys busted with electric carts carrying the fabric and the vendors selling the cheap, delicious food. Oh. The factory were located in the apartment and each floor is separately smoked factory and around a dozen workers working nearly 12 hours a day to produce the clothing there. Well, sounds really gruesome. So how was it like, Chara, when you visited the, the factories? What did you see there? It weren't like any other factories I visited. Okay, well, what are the, the other factories like? I know you, you usually visit very fancy machine tool factories that are really well lit and, and huge. Yeah, I normally, uh, I, I normally interact with those suppliers whose clients are, or, you know, those very big apparel mm -hmm. brands. But those factories in Guangzhou, that's called like workshops because they are they were very small with you know like twenty workers maximum, and they were crowded. And the build the buildings apparently didn't meet the local fire control regulations. And I accidentally <laughs> knocked something off from the wall. What did you do? I was just uh, trying to check the material of their their wall. I was like, I was thinking, was was it brick or wooden and and i just knock it really gently and and some some something fell was someone hurt in the process and uh, nobody was hurt <laughs> uh, but the owner was like oh it's okay it's normal i i guess it, it told us the labor standards I in that place yeah exactly but what surprises me the most is that they were actually very proud of how hardworking their workers were despite of the very long working hours somebody i think more than one person told us, like, it's impossible to find such competent workers anywhere else. <laughs> anywhere else in the world. Anywhere else in the world, yeah. yeah. I believe so, yeah. So, Ashley, what's your observation of those factories and workers? Well, it's my first time visiting the clothing factories, and I thought it was quite messy, actually. Like, you had clothing all over the floor and, you know, just a lot of different stations and people just working all the time. And they will work from uh, 8 in the morning until like 10 or 11. Which That's was, really long. Yeah, I was yeah. quite surprised by that. Yeah, and then what's the age of the workers there? They were mostly middle-aged, so like in their 40s. Mm -hmm. Men or women? I think there were more women than men, but you got both. Right, I see, yeah. So it looks like the labor conditions or the sanitary conditions are uh, less than satisfactory. I, I guess we could we could say that. And another question is: We just talked about how the brand Shein is very successful and popular in the states, where there are a lot of influencers who were even invited to the Shein factories for a tour. So can we say that American consumers? find it hard to break away from made in China. Yes, for sure. I think um, I, for the customers and influencers I talk to, uh, for them, they don't really care about where the things are made as much as we thought they would. For them, what's important is that they have affordable products and clothing that's stylish and Shein really does satisfy that need for them. Especially in recent years where TikTok got really popular for them, they just want, um, they want to be shopping all the time. Mm -hmm. And they want, you know, the best thing that was trendy last week. And Shane fills that gap for them. Right. So fast is not enough. We want ultra fast, super fast, faster and better and, and more. 
Right. So I guess one of my last questions would be: What would be the takeaway for retailers in Taiwan after this visit? Um, actually, I got a very straightforward answer from one of our interviewees. He said that nobody outside of China can replicate this model. So only in China. Only in China. It、yeah. could only happen in China. Why? Because they have a lot of capital. They have a very robust supply chain, low-cost materials, probably the most experienced workers, and lots of software developers. So it's hard. It's hard to find a second place with all of that. You know? Right. Yeah. So I'd say it's hard to. Bit it at this moment, and it's also very hard to copy it, and it's gonna be a tough battle for all the retailers in the world. So, but things are still evolving. There's still a lot of possibilities. So, in other words, Zara and H and M, they are going to be beaten. I said it's gonna be a tough battle.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know it, because we don't know what's the outcome. Of its IPO filing, so、right. maybe it won't be successful. Let's keep our eyes open, and I would like to、uh, direct the last question to David, who has been watching China for a couple of many years. I would say, <laughs> definitely, is a China expert. What did this experience tell us about、uh, the condition of China's economy right now? I remember most of the businessmen we met this time acknowledged that the Chinese economy has been in the awful situation in recent years. The three-year-long pandemic has led to widespread unemployment, and the public consumption desire have diminished. As a result, the business are struggling. However, the Chinese businessmen are not just laying flat. Instead, they are seeking to expand into the overseas markets, just like the story of Xi'an. The fashion industry is tapping into the unsatisfied demand in the United States, the cheap and the ultra-fast fashion. Xin has replicated the Chinese clothing business model and expanded into the foreign markets. And not only the fashion industry, but also we can see the Chinese entertainment industry also expanding into the overseas market as well. The China-made English short drama series are catching the attention of American audience, and the short drama platform like Real Shorts, which is backed by the Chinese investments, even surpassed TikTok in download in the United States last November. This short drama industry is venturing into North America and and Southeast Asia markets to escape China's involution domestic markets and the government's regulation. Therefore, as China's domestic economy shakes, it, I believe we will see more and more Chinese companies expanding their overseas markets in the following years. Right. So, in other words, this is one of the stories of China going global. So, I think we're going to see more of that. But coming back to the cheap clothing and the environmental impact and labor conditions, I think. It really is up to all of us consumers to think before buying. Because what kind of world do we want to support? Do we want to support a world in which everybody can live and work fairly, get paid fairly, and we can also protect our environment? So maybe think twice next time before pressing order. I think that's the takeaway for today. So thank you, everyone. That wraps up today's episode. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoy our discussion, please take a moment to leave a review or shoot us an email. 
For more in-depth report on Shein and why they're so successful, check out Commonwealth Magazine's English website. Our next episode will be available March 12th. Special thanks to our producers Wei Ru Wang and Ian Huang. I'm your host Guang Ying Liu. Follow Taiwanology wherever you get your podcast. So see you next time. Mm-hmm.